Hey, Anthem, good morning. We have two goals for our Demystify series, and one of them is to, quite frankly, just make sense of the Scriptures, and the other one is to inspire us, inspire all of us, myself included, to be more committed to the pages of God's Word and to understand and to engage with the Bible more regularly on a daily basis. You know, I, I love God's Word. I love the impact that Christ has had in my life as a result of His resurrection that was recorded in the Scriptures and the change that it's made in my life is like nothing else that's taken place in my life. And, some of, and so many friends around me would say the same thing, that the, the, the work of Christ in our lives uh, that we hear about through the Scriptures is an impact like nothing else on the earth. Um, some people have said that the Bible's like an instruction manual. And the problem with instruction manuals is that we don't like instruction manuals, right? We so easily uh, just want to throw them out. And sometimes legitimately so. I bought a, a USB uh, adapter this week uh, for my USB-C charger. And it, it was the simplest thing. You can do one thing with it, plug it into the wall. But for some reason, it came with a 24-page instruction manual in six different languages. So we have a tendency to uh, throw things like that away. But I know that there's been times in, in my life as well when I've desperately needed direction and instructions. Just recently, we put together a computer for my son, and uh, uh, we spent about six hours building this computer with all parts for, we picked up from Micro Center in Cambridge, came out after spending a ton of money, and th I'm thinking to myself, how are we going to put this thing together? And my 14-year-old son's telling me, Dad, don't worry, don't worry, I've got these YouTube videos. I'm like, how's that going to happen? You know, how's that going to help? But he was convinced that the, we, if we follow these instructions on YouTube, it's going to be just fine. The I was amazed as a guy who didn't think that normal people could put computers together just to discover that six hours later, he had this global command center of a computer put together done in just five or six hours with a couple of us with a screwdriver and, uh, and the relevant parts in the right places because we followed the instructions. You know, the designer of life, God, has given us clear guidelines, clear instructions for life. He's the creator of life, and he chose to communicate uh, how life works best through the Scriptures. Um, and, uh, you know, this has been a challenge for us, hasn't it, this year? If there's one time when we all feel like we're on the same team, despite division, despite uh, the different factions in our country, there's, there's a, the thing with the coronavirus that makes you realize you're on the same team as well. And, and just in general in life, we're all trying to get ahead. We're all in that same boat. We're trying to be successful. We're trying to find our way through what would be an otherwise dark path in life. And, uh, and, and that's kind of one of the things that brings us all together. And uh, something else that brings us all together, I think, is that we all have regrets. We could all look back at some point in our life and, uh, and recognize the fact that, yeah, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't got into that relationship. I wish I hadn't connected with that person in that way. Maybe it was a, a girlfriend or boyfriend or or marriage partner, maybe it was a, uh, a financial regret that you have, maybe it's a bad tattoo, you know, whatever the, the, the regrets that we have in life, regret is, is one of the things that connects us all. And you sort of wonder, how do, do smart, intelligent, well-intentioned people make such bad mistakes in life? And it's easy to look around and think, why do, they, why do people make such huge mistakes? Um, often we're the smart, 
intelligent, well-intentioned people, right? We look back on moments in our lives which we think um, we, we absolutely regret. And I believe that part of the reason that the Scriptures exist is because God doesn't want us to live with continued regret, which is why He gives us His guidelines. Whether you, whether you look at it on your, on your phone or whether you look at it uh, on paper, um, we have God's Word written down for us to, for us to engage with so that we can reduce the amount of regret that we have. You know why? Because we were made, God made us for a purpose. He put us on this earth for a reason and he has a plan for us and he has ways for us to flourish and for us to succeed. And he offers us uh, those answers in his work. You know, I've got a few things I want to say this morning. And, and, and firstly, I want to say this, that, that hearing God's direction positions us to experience God's protection. Hearing God's direction through the Scriptures positions us to experience God's protection. I mean, imagine 66 books of the Bible, 66 manuscripts, letters, poems, narratives, prophetic words that that make up the the Scriptures in the Bible, written over three continents between 44 different authors over a span of of 1,500 years just lets us know that this is one story that spans such a broad amount of history that is positioning us for God's protection in our lives. I mean, just think of, think of one regret in your life. Choose one. And I bet there's nobody listening to, this, to, to my voice today that, that can't think of one regret that they look back on. And uh, some of them, it could, could just be yesterday. Something that you did yesterday or this morning that you regret. Something that you thought, something that you saw. Or it could be a, a, a regret that is, has had monumental impact on your life that maybe happened a few months or years ago. Uh, when was the last time you consulted God's Word to find out how to live a life free of regret? Uh, we've all got these real regrets in our lives. And I really love the, the words that King David uh, said when he wrote in one of the Psalms. He said, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119, he said, your word is a lamp. It's like a, like a flashlight that we, that we, that we want to have in front of us. He's experiencing the same thing that we're experiencing. All that time ago, he's experiencing the fact that he's, he's alone uh, he wants to move forward in his life, and it's dark. And I think that often s- describes where we're at, doesn't it? It describes our world. It describes what we're like deep down. We want to succeed. We want to move forward. But we've got this, this sense that it's dark in the world around us, and we're on our own. And he says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I wonder what that meant for for King David, uh, King of Israel, to say that. He was somebody that most probably had the first five books of our Bible today memorized. Like, I mean, I can't, I can't even, I don't even know some of my kids' phone numbers, you know, but uh, the, the tradition with the people back then was that they would memorize enormous chunks of scripture that was perhaps at the heart of their education as kids and growing up they would just learn to memorize the the entire Pentateuch the first five books of of our Bible 
And so when David says, uh, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, he knows what he's talking about because he knows that when he succeeds, and David had a lot of failures, but when he succeeds, it's because he's putting the words of God into operation. And, and, da- and, and David was, was, only, was able just to look back a, a, a comparatively a short time before when the very first words of God were written by the hand of God onto stone. So it's gone from 3,500 or so years ago when the first words of God were with the Ten Commandments written on stone to, to, to thousands of translations and languages on my phone today that I can experience every single day. And it, it costs me nothing to do that. But it, it, it requires us to make a choice. I'm going to put myself under your protection, God, because I'm going to allow your word to be a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I think this is about the scriptures as well, that when we listen to God through his word, our regrets become fewer because our decisions become clearer. If we want to know how to handle money, it's all there in in the Bible. If we want to know how to best handle sex and relationships and parenting and our, our worry and our stress, God gives us direction, God gives us wisdom. If you read through Psalm 119, uh, that, that, that psalm that I mentioned that David wrote, Psalm 119, David is writing in almost in, a, in every verse, I think, about the power of the Scriptures in his life. And he's finding a hundred or so different ways to describe the power of the Scriptures in his life. We will live with less regret as we, ha- as we make better decisions because we put the words of God into operation in our lives. So, so easy to, to think, especially if you're not convinced about the Bible. And I realize that a lot of people aren't totally convinced. Uh, it, it's so easy to view the Scriptures as, a, as, a, as kind of this restrictive framework that God's trying to put around us. That it's just, it's just a bunch of rules and regulations. And honestly, if, you, if you've been, been given that line, oh, the Bible's just a, a, a bunch of rules and regulations, I, I challenge you to read it because it's, it's really not. But I, I think about it this way. I remember when I, when I moved to New England. This was three years ago. One of the things I loved about uh, visiting New England and then finally moving here three years ago was the amount of stone walls that just essentially like litter our landscape here. They're just beautiful, aren't they? These stone walls that we have all over New England. And you can see right now what I'm talking about. These, These walls that are everywhere, they're just two, three feet tall, uh, do you know it's been estimated that, the, that there is enough wall in, in New England to circle the earth four times? There's 100,000 miles of, of, of stone walls in the New England states. And I remember when I first got here just thinking like, why did these 17th century farmers and landowners go to such effort to create these, these, uh, these short stone walls? Were they, were they really effective? I mean, they're not, they're going to, you know, protect you from an oncoming army of squirrels maybe, but much bigger than that. Any animal could climb over these walls. Uh, anything could get in and out of, of the land. Um, and after a little bit of research, what I discovered was that these walls are not so much there for security, even though we know that good 
you know, good fences create good neighbors. The, the main purpose of them wasn't for security. Here's the thing. New England as a landscape is extremely rocky soil. Uh, what we're seeing is not natural, of course. Before these rocks were put there, they were absolutely everywhere, all over the New England landscape. And you couldn't do anything with the soil. You couldn't do anything with the land as a landowner or as a farmer until the rocks were, were, were removed and placed on a, on a boundary. And, of course, the boundaries serve as a secondary purpose. But what the farmers, are, their, their main goal is to clear the land and put up the boundaries to allow for freedom in their farming and to, to the, the value was in, was in a clear field, and an open field. When we reduce the scriptures to merely a list of boundaries, we're forgetting that their design is to create the clear soil of freedom that God wants for us in order for us to live and flourish and experience the life that he has for us. David said, God's word is a lamp and it's a light. It's a lamp for our feet and it's a light for our path. He also said this in Psalm 119 verse 11. He said, I've hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. The more we hide God's word in our hearts, the more we will experience freedom from sin and that ability to stay laser focused on what God wants for us. It's like, God, your, your word is becoming a part of me. It's, it's deep down in here. And as time goes on, it becomes more and more natural for me to live like somebody who obeys you. It's helping me not sin against you, which is, that's, what, that's where I, our, our our regrets come from, isn't it? Our regrets come from sinful choices that are made. And David was, was far from perfect, right? We, we, we know that about him. He was far from perfect. He had huge low points in his life and massive failings. But at every, every time, he would turn back to God's word in his life. I read in, uh, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, uh, a prophetic scripture. Isaiah is a, is a prophet who speaks uh, ahead, speaking for God, speaking towards the future, uh, a book that had significance for the, the kingdom of Israel and Judah at that time, but also has significance for us thousands of years later as well. It says this, As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth, and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So it is with my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and, and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God has a purpose for us to read his word that will result in his, his purpose being fulfilled. He's saying, my word won't return to me empty in the same way that when you, when you plant seed and when you do all the natural things that you would do uh, in a farming economy to get, to get a harvest, you, you're going to reap a harvest. And he said, it's the same with my word. When you plant the seed of study and when you plant the seed of devotion and when you plant the seed of reading and engaging with the Scriptures, God's word will accomplish the purpose for which he sent it into our lives, to reap a harvest in our lives. 
It's never a waste. It will not return to God empty as if it was some package that's just being returned. It will always accomplish the purpose for which God sent it. And that leads me to my third thought, that every minute spent in the Bible will spark a revival. Every minute that we spend investing in our relationship with God through the Scriptures could spark spiritual renewal. A revival means, means spiritual renewal, reinvigoration in our lives. Just a new, fresh trust in the God of the Bible. And every minute that we spend uh, choosing to hide His Word in our hearts will result in spiritual renewal in our lives. Now, to, to continue this point, I want to engage the the thoughts and the mind of my friend Abdu Murray, who, uh, whose uh, input we've been using through this Demystify series. And he's going to share some thoughts this morning just on how to engage daily and, and how to engage practically in the Bible. Let's watch this together. I think one of the toughest questions we can ask ourselves often is, how do I read this Bible? Uh, some people find their eyes get droopy when they start reading it. Other people might get upset when they read certain parts that are uncomfortable, because there are parts that are uncomfortable. It is, by the way, documenting the history of humanity, which is categorically uncomfortable. So we shouldn't uh, be surprised when we see that. Um, but how do we study this book? Um, it's large. It's got multiple books in it. It becomes almost daunting to say, how do I read a book that thick and get anything out of it? Especially it was written so long ago in language that I might not understand. Well, I think there's a couple of ways to look at this. I think the first way is to sort of the old adage, you know, how do you eat the elephant? And the, and the answer is one bite at a time. Um, I personally, in my devotion life, um, I read the Bible in two ways, one for a devotion and then two for study. And sometimes they, they cross paths. I uh, use the Robert Murray McShane devotional in one year. And what uh, Robert Murray McShane was able to do was to take um, two passages from the Old Testament and two from the New and he juxtaposes them, and they're in, they're in order, actually, to keep going. But he juxtaposes them in a way that I think is almost, um, it's eerie, how this passage from Ruth matches up with this passage in Matthew, or even sometimes is so contrary in terms of what they're addressing. And you see the relationship of Scripture to Scripture. So I'm a big fan of reading Old and New Testament together. And uh, this devotional specifically, I think, really does that nicely as you begin to see the relationship of Scripture to Scripture. And it um, provides for you this sense of this is not just a series of books. They are interconnected. It's like, it's like, it's like well, looking at a really, really big tapestry. And you're thinking this pattern fits into the grand design, and it's quite gorgeous. Um, I gain so much insights from reading Old and New Testaments together, wisdom literature alongside the poetic literature, and seeing that, um, which brings me to my next point, is you have to see the Bible in the sense in which it was intended. Some parts of the Bible are written to be strictly history, like this happened to this person and these people went here and did this and the Lord did this in this particular town. Um, other times it's meant to be hyperbolic or symbolic or poetic. The Psalms come to mind. Um, uh, even some of the statements within the historical documents are meant to be um, uh, hyperbolic and uh, exaggerative to prove a point. Uh, some of its wisdom literature, Song of Solomon and uh, the Proverbs, of course, come to mind, Ecclesiastes, these kind of things. Uh, others are biographies, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, the book of Acts. These are biographies. 
if you take a look at a Bible, a, a book of the Bible, and you were to say, what was the purpose behind this book? Then you'll be able to read it, I think, with a renewed vigor and an understanding. Uh, some of our best study Bibles, I, I use the ESV for both preaching and for study, um, although I, I do have a multiplicity of different uh, translations I look at. But some of the best parts of my study come when I look at the introduction, because people have studied this before me, and they have looked at it and said, why was this written? Who was the audience? What was the issue they were facing at the time? And they even have an outline that lays it out pretty quick. You can do that in about two minutes before you begin your reading. And then you see, ah, that's the context. That's why all these names seem to make some kind of sense. Um, so I highly recommend looking at the introductory materials. But then there are books of the Bible that are just tough to get through. I mean, it's just the reality of it. Leviticus comes to mind, and I'm sure everybody who's familiar with the Bible a little bit actually thinks of this book when they think of a hard book to get through. Leviticus is just a restatement, just a statement of the Levitical law. You know, the temple has to be this high and no higher, this wide and no wider, this deep and no deeper, uh, this kind of wood and no other, this many tassels on your cloak and no more than this. This is the color of the cloak. This is the, what the ephod should look like. And you're thinking, why do I need to know any of this? Ravi Zacharias, I heard him uh, giving a talk one day, and he talked about how he tried to get through Leviticus in one sitting. And it was very, very tough. And he was going through all the detail and asking God, why did you put all this down for us for posterity's sake, for us to know this stuff? And he came in with an interesting insight. He said, oftentimes the hard parts to get through in the Bible are the ones that give us the most broad insight. He said, if God cares so much about the detail of what you wear, about the detail of the place you go to worship, how much more does he care about the detail of your life and your body and that which comes out of your mouth, not just what goes into your body? How much more does he care about that? That's a key insight, not the only insight, but a key insight as to why God cares this much about the small things. I think this is the application we can make when you understand the broader context. God is a God of details, which means that if you think the little things in your life don't matter to him. That's just not true. People often ask the question, how can we make the message relevant to the people? Make the message of the Bible relevant. And it's hard with Leviticus. Leviticus, as an example, tells you this. It is not that the message is relevant to you. It's that every aspect of your life is relevant to God. And that's a tremendous way to, I think, get the overarching story, the reason the Bible itself actually exists, is to give you a picture of who God is and how much he cares for you. I love that final thought that Abdu had, that every aspect of our lives <clears throat> is important to God. Can you imagine that, that even some of the, the regrets that I've perhaps highlighted in your mind this morning, that God knows where we're at today. He knows our past and our future, but he knows what, what troubles us and what uh, restricts us and what, what concerns us today. And he is concerned about every detail of our lives. And he demonstrates that so much through his word. I want to give us some uh, little bit of practical stuff here this morning. Um, and something that just might help you to just engage with the Scriptures in a way that I think is a great way, and that's using this acronym, uh, READ, R-E-A-D, just the three letters, uh, four letters. Uh, the R would be uh, READY YOUR HEART. So when you come to the Scriptures, when you come to read the Bible, just for a moment, 
just think, what, what, what's my setting? Is my, is my heart ready to receive this morning? Am I ready to just engage with God's Word? Am I ready to open up God's Word? Have I asked God to speak to me through it? I'd say start, find, find a place where you can get a bit of quiet, where you can get a few moments on your own. Don't feel like it's a competition, like, oh, I've got to get through like an entire book of the Bible today or something like that. But, but really the point is to have our hearts ready to receive from this, this anthology of books which makes up God speaking to us. Ready your heart. The second thought is to, uh, is to engage the text. You know, engage the text. Dig into it. Expect that you might, you, might want to, you might want to journal. You might want to write some of your thoughts when you're reading a, a specific text of the Scripture. Maybe you might want to make some notes in, the, in the, the margin of your Bible. I remember looking at, I showed you my grandfather's Bible a couple of weeks ago, and I was just, it was so incredible to, to look at it and see just dozens of notes on, on margins, all in, in a like, cursive writing I could barely read, but uh, in, in margins all through his Bible because he'd been engaging the text. Uh, the, the A in this is ask questions. Uh, ask yourself, who, who wrote it? Who, who was the original audience? What, what uh, uh, context was the, was the writer writing in? Who was he writing to? Ask questions of the Scripture. Ask Whenever you read a passage of Scripture, always bear in mind the passage of Scripture that's before it and the bit of Scripture that's after it. So you get a, a, a picture of the context that it's written in so that you're not just taking something in isolation. Uh, ask questions of the text. And the, and the last part is to decide. D is to decide to act. What, will, what might I do in my life or as a result of how God is speaking to me through what I'm reading? That's the biggest, the biggest thing, isn't it? The application of Scripture in our lives. Will I decide to make a change in my life because of what I'm reading? And I believe that that is the, the, the deepest challenge that, uh, f- from reading the Scriptures is that sometimes we can read it and we can walk away and be no different. But the book of James in, in the New Testament challenges us not to just be hearers of the Word, not just to hear it and then go away, but to be doers of the Word, to hear God's Word and then put it into action in our lives, to decide to act. So I hope that's helpful to you this morning. I, I want to challenge you to continue reading the Scriptures. If you, haven't, uh, if, you haven't, if you don't know what to read, pick up the New Testament and read one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Read, read one of the accounts of Jesus. Read some passages of Scripture from in there and start to get in, in the habit of just uh, digesting God's Word. If you prefer to listen to the, to the, to the Bible, I, I listen to the Bible when I'm walking a lot. I listen to it on my phone uh, through the YouVersion app. And if you want to hear more information about that, I'd love to t- talk to you about that. Message me about that. Uh, Colin at anthemchurch.life. I would love to uh, engage in any conversation or dialogue that you'd love to have about the Scriptures. Let me pray for us as we continue this morning. Lord, I thank you for uh, this community of people who are desiring to engage with you in a deeper way in their lives. And I pray that uh, as we worship together this morning, Lord, that you will allow this to be a part of our uh, decision to put you first, to recognize that all we want in our lives, all we need in our lives is our relationship with you as revealed through the Scriptures. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.